Hello and welcome to Data Driven. In this episode Frank and Andy speak with Alex Murray, the head of North American Operations for Tango Teams, a startup that's redefining the software development outsourcing industry. The software development industry is evolving rapidly and is increasingly becoming data-driven, which is why I know you will want to hear what he has to say. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Data Driven, the podcast where we explore the emerging fields of data science, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. If you like to think of data as the new oil, then you can think of us as, well, car talk, because we focus on where the rubber meets the virtual road. And with me on this epic road trip down the information superhighway is Andy Leonard. How's it going, Andy? Going well, Frank. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Um, I uh, We just recorded another uh, episode for another podcast that we do called Impact Quantum, and I encourage all of our data-driven listeners, if you haven't already listened and tuned into that, you can do that. Uh, and I had an idea, Andy. Yeah? What's your extend idea? That, uh, that that car trip metaphor is that Bailey, yeah. who does our voiceovers, is the GPS voice. How about that? Oh, I like it. Well, GPS is impacted by quantum. You see what I did there? there? You go. I see what you did there. I see what you did there. <laughs> but I don't want to turn data-driven into a quantum computing show. That's why we launched this separate uh, series. Uh, today, we have uh, someone very interesting to speak to uh, who um, apparently has already warned us to stay away from all-you-can-eat sushi places in the middle of the desert. Uh, yeah, that's a good tip. That is a good tip. <laughs> Uh, his name's Alex Murray, and uh, he is the head of the North American operations for Tango Teams, and it's a startup that's redefining software development outsourcing industry. Um, and uh, he can talk more about that. And uh, I believe he is calling in from Utah. How's it going, Alex? Welcome to the show. It is going great, Frank and Andy. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to have a conversation with you guys today. Awesome, awesome. So. Um, Talk to me about what it is exactly that Tango Teams does. There's um, Your bio has a lot of interesting kind of metrics and data, and we all love the data. So if you had to give an elevator pitch, uh, what is Tango Teams? Sure, happy to. First, I would say if you learn nothing else today or we get nothing else out of this, don't eat seafood in Utah is what we've all, we've all learned out of this message. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I would say that, you know, the, the quick elevator pitch is Tango Teams is out to reinvent the software outsourcing industry, right? Using a data-driven approach to drive outcomes and sell on the value we can create rather than sort of traditional metrics that have been delivered around the software space, especially the agile software space where people may look at story points or velocity or how many bugs may be in a system that don't actually add up to real-world information, right? They don't add up to real business value. We sort of remove that from the conversation to have a better conversation about how we can help our customers and support them via data-driven KPIs and a background of the data that we can provide to provide business value to our customers. Awesome. I love it when folks say things are data-driven. Um, <laughs> gets a little plug for the show there all the time. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so, so what sorts of metrics do you collect that are that are different um, in terms of this and um, and and kind of what is what is what's the evolution long-term picture look like of software of the software development industry and yeah. before COVID and I obviously I think COVID has changed things and maybe you can add some color to that 
Totally. Yeah, it, it certainly changed things for us. Uh, we, we were born out of COVID. So kind of seeing some of the challenges that companies were going through was the the jumping off point for us to go, hey, this is this is now's the time. We've been talking about this for a long time. We have to do it today. Um, but you know, when we think about it, a lot of what we we are doing today and the and the data that we use to drive our business forward and the metrics that we we've used to create this business are actually some industry driven metrics that are that were provided ultimately in a book, but for a long series of uh, yearly reports from a woman named Nicole Forsgren, who's a expert in the DevOps community. She's a researcher that has worked with the team for a number of years uh, across a number of companies, I think landing at Google for some amount of time and now at Microsoft Research, I think is where she lives today. Um, but ultimately wrote a book on the topic of how do you create high performance software development teams or high performing engineering teams? And they looked at a lot of you know, data that had been out there for companies from, you know, large scale enterprise, the Microsoft sized companies of the world, all the way down to, you know, a small, maybe a five person team to say, hey, what is actually making a difference? Is it just that you have better onboarding and better training or you're really good at tracking some of these agile metrics that I mentioned earlier? Or is it that there's actually some fundamental difference in the way that the work's being done and what is creating high performing teams? And ultimately what they found, and they've applied this methodology uh, across a number of organizations now, and it go, it lives outside of just the, what we would call the DevOps space of engineering, right? How do you actually deploy this system into production? But the methodology applies more at a broad scale at our business level also to be able to say, hey, we there's actually four metrics. The data that, that they were able to gather over a number of years is that this boils down to four metrics that are really important for how teams can create business value for their organization. Those metrics being the lead time to a change, right? When someone in the organization asks for something to change, how long does it take to get there? How often are you deploying that software? What's your what deployment frequency look like? How often do you enter a bug into a production level system? And then if you do enter a bug, how long does it take to roll back from that bug or that breaking change? Right. So effectively, you know, all of that equals, hey, if we can find ways to break down that deployment cycle, be able to deploy smaller increments on a more consistent basis, we can also roll them back should there be a change at a smaller level, right? Not affecting production level systems in the same way. So it, it sort of applies broadly almost anywhere in the software space that I've been across over my career. As I look back, I look at it and go, yeah, I think, you know, that would have solved a lot of the headaches that I had or, uh, it might kept a little hair on my my head for a couple more years. <laughs> and and um, when the green room, we're having issues with uh, my Teams installation. We're recording this via Microsoft Teams, and I can I can apparently can only choose seeing one person's camera. So this time it's Andy, but uh, we don't know what the recording <laughs> will look like. If you're listening to this audio, then it doesn't matter. But just thought I would I would I would chuckle at that. Uh, um, so so. You, what's interesting, you said you said a couple of interesting things here. So, am I to take away that the real kind of thing that that differentiates a software engineering team is time to iterations? In large part, yeah, time to iteration and how high of a quality can you iterate in that time, right? So, when you when you think about one of those KPIs and the one that I mentioned around quality specifically was how often are you introducing a bug into a production level system? Well, and rolling right. back, which seems right. like equally important right because right? you do something right. you do that yeah that's interesting so it's it really comes down to how we can track and drive those metrics forward 
right? It's, it's interesting on one note to think about it. If, hey, I'm I'm Alex Murray and I work inside of Microsoft, I'm working on producing products for them as a as a product company, right? Microsoft, the product company, to be able to deploy them to the world. You can sort of standardize on what those look like uh, and how those metrics may move over time, right? How do we sort of normalize the, the baseline for this data? What's really interesting for us is we do it on a uh, consulting basis, right? We do it where we're saying, hey, we have to go consult for X number of different companies to help them build software for some number of months or years. And each one of those companies is going to look different. They're going to have some some set set of processes, some set set of operations, some way that they've deployed software for the last five or 10 or 20 years. And we're coming in saying, hey, we're going to we're probably going to break some of your processes in this process. Right. As we go through this, as we try and understand what these metrics mean to you, we've got to really dig into the details while we're a team of software developers and, and some other folks that sort of surround that space. We have to understand that the pipeline of your business pretty intimately to be able to say, hey, we can actually deliver on these metrics for you. And here's what it means to you. Right. Which is, which is a different conversation for every customer that we work with today. Sure. I hear a lot of lifecycle management. Um, mm -hmm. I definitely hear delivery and deliverables of software uh, and projects, um, but I'm hearing a lot of lifecycle management. And, you know, I think it's easy to overlook uh, sort of this wrapper around the project delivery. Yeah, I, th I think you're totally right. There's almost a, um, like I've worked at companies that have like a human experience component too, right? There's this like change management component along with this life cycle management to go, hey, we're some of these ways that you've delivered software over the course of this business that have become this tribal knowledge of your business are going to change or they may shift in some way. What we've really found in that process, Andy, is that we are almost shining a flashlight in many in many situations back on the organizations we're working with. Right, they've got really accustomed. They may be a really good agile development shop. They might have got that process down to a science, right? But they they may not know where some of the things break down outside of those traditional metrics, right? So okay. when they look at them, they they're, they get very comfortable with like, yeah, every every time we go deliver, it's 22 story points. And hey, we've got all this data that says if we do it this way, if we put them in this order, if we have this level of detail to our story, it gets done. But when I talk to customers, and, and I'm, I'm sure Andy or Frank, you guys have had the same over the course of your career, there's often times where you're like, it's, it's nice that you've got the data that says it's 22 story points. What does that mean? Like 22 story points doesn't get me a website, right? Or a piece of software or whatever you're creating. Right. It just doesn't add up, add up to much. And so what we've been able to, to really showcase by capturing this data in a different way than the industry is used to is say, hey, here's where things break down. Like for our other customers, we can deploy every day or every other day into their system. And yours is nine days on average, right? Start to use the numbers, get that tangible sense or the, the intangible sense or feeling out of the equation. And let's right. just say, hey, here's here's where the, the numbers break down. Let's talk about how they're different, right? Again, it's a, it's a great driver for best practices and a baseline of how we can be transparent about what is traditionally been a non-measurable component. Yeah, I like that because that that's one of the things that was always um, difficult is how do you quantify the amount of effort? Clearly, there is an amount of effort and it is in theory quantifiable, but I've always found that very elusive, like it's kind mm -hmm. of measuring smoke. You know, it's, it's <laughs> clearly something's there, but yep. how do you measure its volume? 
Yeah, that's, that's totally right. I, I uh, come from more of a business and economics background, Frank, when I got into software and sort of software consulting services. And my foray into a lot of the early projects and programs that I had run early in my career were, you know, we are a great agile shop. We can do all this work around these, these uh, more traditional metrics. And my conversation with every development team that I ever worked with was, okay, let's talk about what a story point is. What is one story point? And, and you'll get a hundred answers. None of them are, are good answers. Some are time-based, some are just, it's the smallest unit of value we can deliver, which I'm not exactly sure what that means. You know, so it's, it's, <laughs> you're always stuck in that conversation that you describe where it's like, Hey, I think we've got enough work to last a sprint, but I, I don't really know what it all means. Right. I'm also encouraged that there's research. I'm sorry, Andy, go ahead. I'll Go ahead. You finish your point. I'm, I'm encouraged that there's actually researchers in DevOps now. That means DevOps has truly matured. Yeah, you know, there's um, there's some really interesting research. Nicole shares it a lot um, through her website and sort of through her social channels. But she spent a lot of time in the the DevOps landscape, really looking at some deep dive metrics. And I'll, I'm happy to share some of those with you. Um, if you'd like awesome. to add any of the notes so we can we can have them, but they do a, a report year over year, sort of a, a state of DevOps report uh, that goes yeah. back at least to 2014, 2015. That really is is data driven, right? It's looking at not only the best in tooling, best in process, but to say, hey, where where are these metrics going? What is creating this this type of team? What is creating high performing systems even? So it's it's given us a new light on this industry to go. When we looked at this, I came from a, a traditional sort of software services background, right? Hey, we help companies build software, whatever they need to go do. And when we looked at this company, we said, we have to do something different. It's got to be meaningful. It needs to actually create a better conversation for business value in the space than the traditional one does. So we, we as we came across a bunch of different research and landed on Nicole's book and her findings and, and the, the reports that she had produced over a number of years, we were able to say, hey, this is, to me, this is it, right? I'm a, I'm a business guy at heart the folks that we did this with uh that we started the company with were kind of from the same nature but hey this has got to make a better conversation than the one that's happening today that that most of the industry is accustomed to and maybe agrees on but nobody likes it yeah that and that's kind of an interesting point that you know when i talk to people about agile i i get you know one or the other polarized response and you know, some people have actually done, uh, you know, given it's a good college try, and they've they've implemented something like Scrum. And uh, I once heard, I can't remember the guy's name, and this is sad, but it was on a .NET Rock show. Mm -hmm. um, one of the guests talked about nobody practices Scrum; they all practice Scrum, but, and it's like, yeah, we do Scrum, but you know, and then there's something there, but where it's where it's different. Um, I, I've seen. Agile work really well, and, and I've seen it not work so well, and I haven't been able to always quantify and say this is why, you know, it didn't work well. In fact, in some cases where I thought it worked better, we were doing something like Scrum Butt, and in other places where we did by the book, you know, some Agile methodology, not so much. And it's interesting that these these four metrics that you mentioned are not hard to quantify. They're not hard to, to gather that for analysis, but it's very interesting to me that you key on it. And they seem to be more about the fruits of the software development effort and not so much about the process itself. 
Yeah, I think I think that's really important, right? Uh, the way yeah. that we've looked at our business is to be able to say, hey, there's there's a lot of companies that can do that will say they can do sort of everything for you, right? They'll do the design, they'll do some human experience stuff, they'll do the development, the QA, they'll run your whole program, they'll support it for the next 20 years. Like you get everything. It's like going to sure. Walmart for software development, right? You just get everything you need. <laughs> but but at the same time, it doesn't really help for those customers. And, and what I found over the course of my career is there's a lot of companies, most actually, that actually know what they want to do. Right. They, their unique expertise is in their space. They know their product. They know their category. They know their, their customers. And they've often got an understanding of what they need to go do. It's just a matter of doing it. Right. It sits in some sort of proverbial backlog because they say, hey, we've got, you know, 5,000 developers and 20,000 things to do. So prioritize them and pick the most ones. And there's portion of the organizations that are ready to go with their initiative, but they just don't have the muscle to go. Right. So you go, hey, how do we give how do we give people without starting from the beginning and sort of forcing them to rethink their own wheel just to go, great, we've got we've got something that you can plug in to your system, effectively buying an engineering organization. And we even package it in a, a subscription based model. So try and be different on that side as well. But in a way that you can say, hey, I know what my run rate is to buy my team. I know what it looks like over time because subscription based service that I know how many months I've got on my quote unquote subscription. And what I want to know is how fast I can get to the end, right? As a, especially as a non-software developer, if you're the head of product or if you're the head of um, maybe marketing that's got some initiative to drive forward, story points especially don't mean anything, but I just want to know how fast we can get back to it. Instead of saying, hey, you're going to build me a website for a reason. When do I get a homepage? Great. That's value to me. When do I get somewhere to capture email? Great. As a marketer, that's valuable to me. When do I get somewhere to put people to a, a blog or to some other writings that we've done. Great. That's about, so it's thinking about the, the value return rather than the creation, I suppose. Right. Yeah. I, I like that because ultimately it's the, the value is what underwrites your paychecks. I mean, <laughs> ultimately. And that's, that's exactly right. So, so how you mentioned subscriptions. So, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's it's obvious to say we're in the shift to a subscription-based kind of economy, particularly for mm -hmm. for software products. You know, I would never have spent thirteen grand on Adobe, you know, Creative Master Suite, but I'm happy to shell out fifty bucks a month. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I get a better product because they they update it much more often, sometimes too often. Um, but Ultimately, how how does this change software development? And, and obviously, there there's got to be some kind of value prop in there, like also yeah. some business value that gets changed too. Yeah. So there's a there's sort of a couple ways that we think about this, and I, I love talking about this topic because I really do feel like this is a, a unique unlock. But for us, where we think about this, and again, I've spent a lot of my career in the in the services industry, is one of the biggest frustrations for most companies is this back and forth around how software gets developed, especially in this agile model, but any model really. And when am I going to get back out what you told me you were going to give me for the budget you told me it was going to cost, right? So there's this conversation about either scope, schedule, and budget. When are things gonna happen? How much is it gonna cost me to get there? And, and you know, tell me when these th certain things are gonna be done. But what it doesn't do is actually account for what happens in over 80% of projects, which is, hey, by the way, they're going to be over budget, they're going to be over time, and you're going to get less than you thought in terms of the scope, right? You go and you go to buy something, you guys need a new uh, 
cool new website app, you know, platform for data driven as a podcast. You get someone to kind of scope it out. They tell you, great, we're going to do all these things. We think it's going to cost $200,000 to build this really cool thing for you, Frank and Andy. But then what happens is they go in and they start they start sort of peeling back the onion, right? It's it's always sold with sort of a discovery effort uh, first, quote unquote. And they go, hey, we know that it told you 200 grand. You went to the powers that be and you got 200 grand in budget secure to do that. Here's the thing. We pulled back the onion and to give you what we told you we'd give you, which was the moon, it's actually half a million dollars, right? Once we knew more about your system, it's way more. So now here's here's first the first lap of the change order merry-go-round, right? Which is the worst merry-go-round for everybody to be on. You're you're on this thing and you're like, okay, well now I've got to go back to the, again the powers that be and tell them, hey, it's not 200, it's 500, but we've already spent 50 of that in discovery, so we probably should just spend the 500 because we're just going to throw that money away if we don't because the next company's going to want to do the same thing, and. The, the guy that's told you it's now 500 also doesn't love that conversation, right? He's looking at his team internally going, guys, how do we get to 500? Like what happened? I thought we had a, a really good estimate of how the system worked. And now I've got to go tell them that my reputation's on the line. And I don't know if we're going to get another project from Frank and Andy because they're not happy about where we started. And no one's built anything yet. Nothing's been done. You, Frank and Andy, know what you need done, right? Maybe you've even got the designs for it. You've got the architecture. Hey, here's the thing. Here's the blueprint. Somebody please go. And that conversation just, it, like I said, no one, no one enjoys it. It's not value to anybody. And it's just totally removed from the actual work. Like nothing, nothing's actually getting done towards the goal. How are we driving towards a goal somewhere? So for us, we, we took that and said, hey, what if we could do it different? What if we could say, hey, we only specialize in this space that is you have a semblance of what you want and we can go build what you need. And we'll do it in a model that showcases these KPIs. So you get to manage what our performance looks like. We'll tell you how we're performing. You tell us if it's good enough for you or not over time, and we'll do it in a subscription model. So you can maybe sign up for a three-month subscription with us to do it. You'll get a dedicated team for that amount of time. Over three months, we'll provide those KPIs. We'll provide the transparency. We'll provide, hopefully, really good software to you along that journey. And then at that time, we can talk about what that performance looks like, period. Did you get what you thought you wanted to get out of it? Are you you know, happy paying what you're paying for that service today? Excellent. Let's go maybe another three months or longer or or not, which is totally fine with us. And we don't make any bones about it. Hey, if we didn't hit the mark for you, that's that's on us. And that that gives you an opportunity to say thanks, but no thanks. I find that very interesting. Um, I I run a small boutique consultancy and, you know, the idea that we run on is, you know, we sell time mm -hmm. and for money and trying to convert that into a subscription model. I also sell software and I do that on a subscription sure. model, which was hard to transition, by the way. I got a number, a lot of pushback from clients about that when I did it. But to people who aren't aware of the old prices, they don't seem to have an issue with it at all. They just sign up. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, um, for me, I'm kind of doing, Frank used the um, example of Adobe before where it was 13 grand you know, just one big cash layout versus $50 a month. Is that the way this is working out? I mean, rather than somebody doing a capital, a huge capital expense, maybe they're doing something under capital budget every month. Is that how it's ending yeah. up price-wise? Okay. Yeah, that's that's, that's a component of it. And and we the way we think about it is is definitely in that same limelight, Andy. I think you're right on, on track there. The way that we look at it is to be able to say, hey, you know, this is just a, a run rate. We'll tell you what a team of three, a team of five, or a team of eight costs you per month. 
And what we want to do is actually put the power back in your hands to be able to make decisions about what the most important work to be done is today, tomorrow, next week, yesterday, whatever the yeah. whatever case may be. And here's where it really kicked in and, and where COVID made a big difference for us, right? So we saw, and I was at another company at the time and, and another consulting company. And what we saw was it, everybody went into lockdown, work from home, you know, we've, and a big piece of that was, hey, we've got to change our business dramatically, right? If you're a brick and mortar retailer, you're not doing brick and mortar retail now, you know, halfway through 2021 or further. What you're, what you're, what you've done is transition that business, but not even on just the customer facing side, but internally, so many people had processes that weren't digital first and the, the software consulting companies that were working with them had some long, you know, digital transformation roadmap that was three or five years. And yeah, we're going to get to that thing. It's going to be down there further. Well, so at some point people might work remote, but it's not today's problem. If, you know, they're in the office, just hand the piece of paper and that's how we're going to do it. But that's, that all changed overnight. And what happened with these with these contracts, especially with these the companies, is they said, hey, well, we already scoped all this work. Well, now we need to go back to the table. We need to rescope the right work to do. It's going to take us three months to reprioritize the backlog. We're going to have a new conversation about what the right level of contract is to employ the right number of people to do the right number of work over time. Now they're four months behind, right? Right. Like the day everybody went home, they were immediately four months behind behind schedule. And what we saw with that is, hey, why why is this done in this way? Why can't you pivot an engineering team just like you'd pivot your own engineering team if you if you you know employ these people yourself to say, hey, the backlog just got flipped on its head. Everything we thought we'd do in two years is now the most important thing we can do tomorrow. So we said, and we built this company, is great, change it tomorrow. You get to stay in the driver's seat of this company. You get to stay in the position to say, that's no longer important. These things are now the most important things to me. And for us, our metrics of delivery don't change. We go, okay, great, flip it, right? Tomorrow we'll start working on the new work. We'll still, you know, the output. Now you can make inference about when we'll be there based on how much we can do, how often we'll deliver. Change it. No problem. It's a subscription service, right? Adobe gets better over time, to Frank's point. Our goal is that the, the model stays consistent, right? The, the expectation stays consistent and the system gets better over time. It's almost like a cloud model, you know? Yeah. I don't have to, you know, buy a server rack. I can kind of turn on the juice and pull back the juice when I need it versus don't need it. Yep, that's it. That's the idea. And the way that we built it was was for exactly that reason. How can we be the most helpful to the broadest set of people over time without trying to be the Walmart, right? Everything for everyone. Right. We want to be really yeah. good, you know, re, be really good in our space. So contrast this with, say, staff augmentation. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. So staff augmentation is interesting, right? Well, when I look at our business, and our business is based out of, there's a, a handful of us here in the States kind of spread throughout. I'm in Seattle. I've got some coworkers in Florida, some in California. Uh, but they, the, the majority of the business is in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Right. And interesting. I've, yeah, I've got a long history of working with folks in Buenos Aires through a couple of companies that I've I've been with and and actually throughout all of Latin America. But the the company, all the software development is done there. And and reason being one, there's been some uh pretty big companies that are now Fortune 500 companies. I worked at one of them uh, that have invested a lot of money in that in that um country into the infrastructure for creating high high quality software developers, specifically in like the cloud, web, and mobile areas, what we've seen really advance in, in that country. And oddly enough, uh, I know you guys spend a lot of time in the machine learning artificial intelligence world. 
Uruguay is like a massive population of data scientists and machine learning developers. I've so heard if you're that. looking for you know, good people. For some reason they've got the math piece of, of the puzzle figured out. But uh, but when we looked at it, we said, hey, how do we do this in a place, one, where it's very cost effective compared to the states to, to do this work, but is also time zone aligned, right? So we, a lot of outsourcing is maybe in India, Belarus, uh, Vietnam, Taiwan, the Philippines potentially, where the time zones get a little bit interesting, right? So when we talk about high sure. performance, you lose a lot of that performance just in the communication channels, right? Hey, we're going to send yeah, something very to smart. Yeah, yeah, time we, zone alignment is huge. Yeah. It's been really important for us. Like we we actually get, you know, we're an hour off the East Coast for, well, sorry, it's an hour off the East Coast right now, this time of year. So it's very easy to stay aligned to our customers, not have that, you know, hey, we send a question to you one day when you get in today, you know, 11 and a half hours away from me, you respond to it. The next day I respond, you're like, oh, great. It took a week to solve a problem. That's fantastic. Right. And then we think when we think about it from a, you know, how do you contrast this against Staffog? Well, in a staff fog model, you're you have to run that team, right? So you, Andy, as a <clears throat> as a software service company, you've got to either be up at midnight or four a.m. or whatever time of day to be able to actually effectively run a software development team somewhere. So we say, hey, well, yeah. well, why don't we package this in a team model? Why don't we give you a team? One of those team members being a project manager or a you know scrum master. We'll pick the right flavor based on the project, but that sits with that team, Buenos Aires. So one, they're only an hour off your time anyways on the East Coast. But number two is that they're actually sitting with the team, often speak English, but you know, let's do this in our local language. It just goes a little bit quicker. How do we make sure that the team's unblocked, even when that hour where you might be offline, but we're still working together. So just putting it in a model where that, that team is a cohesive unit, that tribal knowledge stays together, and you have a trusted output over time of the team. Versus staff fog, we were like, hey, three guys were good, four guys were bad. I just guess we'll get some new ones and I'll continue to manage them. It just, it takes a lot of the management burden off, right? That's, that's cool. Interesting. And there's a cost savings there alone. Once you remove that um, management cost and overhead. Yeah. yeah. And the time delay. Awesome. All right. So now we switch to, because I know we're short, a little short on time. Uh, we switch to our um, pre-canned questions. Let's do it. Um, I'll start off. Uh, how did you find your way into data? Did you find the data life or did the data life find you? Uh, the data life found me uh, in a couple of ways. I really went deep into it. One of the companies I spent a, a portion of my career at before this was actually a conversational AI company. Interesting. Right. So spend their time in national language processing, NLU, um, and, the, and some of the models that underlie it. And that was my first foray into like, hey, the, these things are going to get better with time, right? Like data is the the oil to your guys's to your guys's point and the more that we can do to be better here the better off the system overall is going to be no matter the industry so what would you say is your favorite part of your current gig seeing customers light up when we actually can show these dashboards to them right when we're showing these metrics to them they go oh this this actually does give me you know better insight into my business that that first oh is uh is second to none interesting um we have a couple of complete the sentences uh when i'm not working i enjoy blank i'm a huge fitness enthusiast so get up 4 30 every morning do crossfit nice. uh we've got a peloton at home so kind of every flavor of, of fitness you know tough mutter 
etc spartan race nice nice i peloton bike or the treadmill oh the bike okay cool i have the bike as well right on so our next fill in the blank i think the coolest thing in tech today is I'm going to go with the back in the conversational AI space, right? When it works, even just your Google or your, you know, Siri or Alexa, when it works for something beyond set a timer, it still feels a, a little bit magical to me. My younger son, who um, um, he kind of his entire life, we had a an Amazon Echo speaker. Mm -hmm. So whereas with my older son, the, the, the technology that he takes for granted is touchscreens. And iPads. The younger yep. one, he he he's in first grade now, but there's some words he can't spell. So what he'll do is he'll pop in Siri to say, "I want to search for this," mm -hmm. which I think it's, is a very intriguing uh, thing. We spent a lot of time on it at that at that company talking about, "Hey, this is there's a whole era of a generation of kids now that this is you know the first step." Yeah, go here. Yeah. If I have to use my thumbs to type it in, I've lost. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the next completed sentence, I look forward to the day when I can use technology to blank. Oh, I'm doubling down. I, this is, this is the conversational AI dream right here, right? <laughs> when you can like, when you have that like real assistant to like, Hey, let Frank know I'm going to be three minutes late and move my third meeting after that to four o'clock or, you know, make sure you tell my wife this, but also send her the recipe for what we're going to do for dinner tonight and ask her, ask my best friend if we can do this other thing. Right, that situation of just like helping me organize all the things that I have to pull out my phone to do today, that is the dream. Plus walking into your house and telling them what to do, the whole smart home. You know, the real smart home is, uh, it's coming. I can't wait right. for you to get here. I feel like we have the black and white TV of smart homes today. <laughs> you know? I, yeah, mine's definitely got, you know, the old dial, like the ching, 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 the dial. that's... It's like the lights are on or they're off and the music's on or it's off, but that's about right. as good as we can get. Right. I wonder how many people in the audience have no idea what we're talking about. TVs with dials on them. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> There's a video about it on YouTube. I'm sure there is. <laughs> we were talking about the other night about how the television was a console and it was four feet wide, two feet deep, and it had a 13-inch black and white screen. Yeah, and if you didn't like what was on TV, it was, you know, wait for tomorrow. That was, that's, that's it. it. I grew up in New York. I was spoiled. We had five over-the-air channels. Wow. Life was good. Three. It was it was three. just amazing. Yeah, we had the three major networks, PBS and uh, Telemundo. And if you had the right kind of antenna, you might be able to add, like, three more. I love it. I think it was, like, three or five yeah, on our first TV. Yeah. So we ask uh, our guests to share something different about themselves, but we remind you that it's a family-friendly show. Like to keep that rating. <laughs> so, I like to. I like to remind. What is something her. different about? Something different about me. Ooh, I I would say that for for most people, I, I talk to people a lot. And I ask them this question. For most people, sort of their role model or their mentor is like a, you know, they got a business mentor and they've got maybe like a family, like an uncle or a, a somebody that they looked up to. Man, mine's one and the same. My mom to me is is an incredible woman, number one. Um, it's had an incredible career in healthcare. 
super empathetic, super passionate. I, I have two younger brothers and a little sister who I've, who I've all learned so much from her along the way. And all we have like a incredible family unit that likes to get together. We all enjoy each other. We've all had our own successful careers in different ways. Um, and, and my dad also, but in, in both those ways, I look, I've looked up to my mom forever as this unique role model that like is just a superwoman in business and also is just an incredible empath and will have the best party in the world when you, you know, when anybody wants to come over, everybody's coming over and it's a great time. That's, that to me is probably, uh, probably unique to me. That's cool. That's cool. And where can people, people find more about you and, um, Tango Teams. Yeah, the best place, tangoteams.com, uh, where we put up all of our information. We just did a, a revamp of our main homepage there to kind of provide some more info on what we're up to. And lately, we've been putting out some really good content around, hey, if you're thinking about outsourcing, if you're going to do this yourself, if you want to go find somebody to do it, you know, here's some quick sort of one pages on what you should be looking for, how people are thinking about the industry, whether we can help you or not. No problem either way. Would love to help you, but don't need to. But we want to be able to provide that level of thinking, that level of content out to the industry. So it's all there. TangoTeams.com. And I just connected Tango Teams and Argentina. Is that you know it? National dance. Yep, that's where it came from. There you go. Uh, You've cracked the code. I was wondering about that because I'd heard Tiger Teams before. Yeah. And it, you know, I just didn't know if that was if it was akin to that or not. But that is awesome. Tango teams like in it. Argentina. Yeah, you know, there's just like one, it's just it's cool to to have that uh little bit of history inside of our name. And and one of the the founders of the company is was Argentine, grew up there, or is Argentine, grew up there till he was, you know, 14, 15 years old and then moved here. And part of his reason for doing this was, hey, how do I give back to that community? So we, we had to give a little bit of a nod there. And then also just that there's so much elegance, the tango, right? It's like high performance. You've got to be in lockstep. It just had all the right metaphors going on. Right. And it's an alliteration <laughs> as as a data driven. We love our alliteration. You got to. You got to. Yeah. Yeah. Always advance alliterations. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the final question is, is that technically Audible is still a sponsor, but we're having some issues with our link. <laughs> do you do audiobooks? Uh, and if so, can you recommend a good audiobook, or or otherwise you can recommend just a regular book? Yes, I love audiobooks. Number one, I'm I'm mm -hmm. always in my car or running or driving or doing something, so it's it's great to have that option. You accomplish so much more uh, from a reading perspective that way. I've got a lot. I'm gonna take unique approach. Most, I would go usually with like a business book. I've read a ton. I'm a huge believer in Simon Sinek and some other folks, but I'm gonna take a I take a left turn and do one for fun which is the, one of the best for fun books that I've listened to lately was Matthew McConaughey's biography or his autobiography, oh, I suppose, called Green Lights. Yeah. One of the guys just had a really interesting career. Um, it actually gave me a lot of sort of drive to like, hey, there's some other ways that I can look even at the things that I do in my, in my business life. But it's also yeah. uh, narrated by him. So you get like the Matthew McConaughey, you know, all right, all right, all right. It's just <laughs> like that's the tone. <laughs> and he adds in some some of his own stories. So in terms of audiobooks, like the most bang for your buck is when you can actually get the writer to read it because you get their yes, their, you know, soul in it. But that was a good one for sure. I've awesome. listened to the beginning of that one and I gotta agree with you. It's it's pretty awesome. Yeah. And a couple I've I've made it about halfway through Tom Petty's biography. I've heard that's a really good I one believe, also. Yeah, it's similar in in tone and and in vibe. Um, 
learned a lot about him I didn't know about him and I just started listening to Gary Sinise's A Grateful American oh um, yeah and the first chapter that I mean it just came out and I just happened to I actually clicked on it by accident coming back <laughs> today from dropping my daughter at school and it's he's in the second chapter where he talks about that first play he was in and he was like a juvenile delinquent I mean I who knew you know but he and he got into this and he like found his new his his new community and it's just listening to him read it as well um oh my gosh it just i he, well you you know you know you get it with yeah yeah with there's McConaughey that, like, and stuff yeah that soul or oh, their ability to tell the story their way is a is an yeah. unlock for people doing audiobooks if you're not reading your own you're, you're losing something <laughs> yeah that's for sure frank frank what have you been listening to or reading lately so I just finished up um, a book called Ask, and it's basically it was uh, found out about it on. I'm I'm kind of listening to two books at, at once now. I'm about a third the way through Snow Crash, and oh, okay. um, it, that's an interesting. That. I bet it's great. It's an interesting audiobook because they actually do sound effects and stuff like that in it, and like it's 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 intriguing how they. And it's it's an old audiobook. I mean, it's like 10, 15 years old. It's interesting, you know. Uh, an ask, which is by Mark Vist, Victor Hansen and Crystal Dwyer Hansen, husband and wife. Uh, I first heard about it on the Ed Milet on the Ed Milet podcast. It's an intriguing book cool. about kind of you know basically the short of it is that the the better questions you ask of yourself and of people around you, you'll get better answers. Interesting. Okay then. Well, this has been a fantastic show. We're coming up on our uh, on our time here that we set beforehand. Thank you so much for being on the show, Alex. Yes, it thank was you. a great interview. Um, loved it. Love your enthusiasm, man. I, Absolutely. I, I wish we could. Maybe we get the video up. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what happens. We'll see well, what th happens. Thank you guys both. I really enjoyed this. This has been a great time. Awesome. We'll let the nice British lady thank end you. the show. Thanks for listening to Data Driven. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. You have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And... Can't the world use a little more joy these days? Now, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.